I'm Scott Aniel, and you're listening to Remembering Zion, Setting Minds on Things Above. In this segment of the By the Waters of Babylon podcast, I have been working my way through my book, Sound Worship, A Guide to Making Musical Choices in a Noisy World. In this episode, we move into chapter 5, in which I address the question, Is Beauty in the Eye of the Beholder? In the first half of the chapter, I trace what the Bible has to say about the source of true beauty, as well as the marring of beauty in the fall. This book was written for a broad audience and can be read individually or used as a teaching aid in a small group or another teaching setting. I have also produced a teacher's edition, which incorporates material from my first book, Worship in Song, as well as discussion questions and other resources to help a teacher in leading the students through the material in sound worship. You can find both of these books on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Chapter 5. Is Beauty in the Eye of the Beholder? Imagine I tell my wife that I want to take her to a special place for our anniversary. We arrange for a babysitter for our children, we dress in our finest clothes, and we hop into our car to set off for our romantic mystery destination. Becky's excitement soon turns to bewilderment as I pull into the local junkyard. I park the car, open the trunk, and pull out a small table and chairs. I proceed to set up the table, putting a candle in the middle, place settings on each side, and a picnic basket next to the table. Here we are, dear, I exclaim, all set for our romantic dinner. A romantic dinner in a junkyard? Becky questions. Sure, I answer. I thought this place would set the mood nicely. Don't you just love how the rust on the scrap metal glimmers in the lowering sunset and how the smell of garbage adds that extra touch to our evening? No, I don't, she replies with a frown. I don't find this setting pleasing at all. Oh, come on, I object. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? You just need to readjust your perceptions. The situation is silly, of course. No one in their right mind would consider a junkyard beautiful or romantic. There are certainly smells and sights that are objectively ugly. Yet in a culture of relativism, the scenario above sounds strangely plausible. If people do not believe in absolute standards by which to determine beauty, who is to say that a junkyard is not beautiful? A Christian believes in absolute standards of truth and righteousness. Such standards may be discerned from the Word of God and the nature and character of God. But what about absolute standards of beauty? Do they exist? The idea of beauty traditionally describes an object or idea in which we take pleasure simply for what it is. In other words, if we delight in something for what it can do for us, we don't necessarily call that thing beautiful. We call something like that good. We call something beautiful when we take pleasure in it apart from any practical benefit we may receive from it. A beautiful object has intrinsic qualities in it that cause delight. For example, I take pleasure in my computer because it allows me to accomplish a lot of things, but I wouldn't call my computer beautiful. On the other hand, I take pleasure in watching a sunset even though it does absolutely nothing for me. It is this kind of delightful thing that I would call beautiful. 
Is this notion of beauty found in Scripture? In order to answer this question, we must first recognize that although we commonly use the term beauty today in signifying this concept, biblical authors use many different terms to describe this same idea. In your English translation, you might find the idea of beauty encapsulated in words like sweetness, splendor, majesty, pride, excellence, loveliness, purity, admirability, glory, or even goodness. Words like these are often translations of Hebrew or Greek terms that resemble our idea of beauty. The Source of Beauty Essential to a definition of beauty is pleasure. People call something beautiful because of the pleasure they find in it apart from what it can do for them. The Beauty of God God himself is the one in Scripture most commonly associated with delight and pleasure. For example, notice the joy and delight God's people find in God in the following passages. Psalm 16:11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 43:4, Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Psalm 145.16 You satisfy the desire of every living thing. In each of these cases, God's people do not find joy in him because of what he can do for them, although his works are certainly great and worthy of delight. Rather, God's people delight in him simply because of who he is because of qualities intrinsic to his nature. What are these intrinsic qualities? Notice the words used to describe God in the following passages. 2 Chronicles 20.21 And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. Job 40.9-10 Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor, and array yourself with glory and beauty. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 145.5 I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Isaiah 35.2 They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Zechariah 9.17 For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. God is called beautiful, glorious, majestic, and full of splendor. These are qualities inherent to the nature of God, and qualities in which his people delight. So here we find the essential concept of beauty used to characterize God himself. God has unique qualities that bring pleasure to people, separate from what he does for them. God is beauty. 
But I want you to notice something further in scripture about this pleasure in God who is beautiful. Finding pleasure in God is not optional. God's people are commanded to find joy in him. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. What this means is that these qualities of beauty inherent in God's nature and character are worthy of pleasure. They must be delighted in. Failure to delight in God for his inherent excellence is tantamount to sin. Another way of saying it is this. It is not pleasure in God that makes him beautiful. It is objective qualities of beauty that require pleasure. These qualities in God are absolute standards of beauty. In scripture, this necessity to delight in God because of his intrinsic worth is called glorifying God or praising God. To glorify or praise God is to find joy in him because of qualities in his nature that are worthy of such delight. The Beauty of Creation The beauty of God then extends to his creation. In Genesis 1, God calls his creation good, a word that has implications of beauty. Creation puts on display the beauty of God. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. What God created may be considered beautiful because it reflects and displays his beauty. In other words, the same qualities that make God beautiful are those standards by which his creation may be considered beautiful. Further, God calls certain man-made creations beautiful as well. For example, God commands Israel to build his tabernacle, and later the temple, to display beauty. In prescribing how he wants the priestly garments made, God says, For Aaron's sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. Exodus 28.40 So even men can create things that are beautiful. Again, these human creations may be considered beautiful inasmuch as they possess qualities that reflect the beautiful qualities of God. This is all important as we seek to discover whether absolute standards of beauty exist. The notion that beauty is in the eye of the beholder flows from a kind of thinking that says, whatever I find pleasurable is beautiful to me. Yet as we have seen from the beauty of God, something does not become beautiful simply because someone delights in it. Something is beautiful because of its qualities whether or not people find it pleasurable. A sunset is beautiful whether or not someone acknowledges the fact. And it is therefore possible to delight in something and think it is beautiful when it is in fact not beautiful. Absolute standards of beauty exist, and they are found in the very nature of God. Qualities of Beauty What then are these qualities intrinsic to the nature of God that serve as the absolute standards of beauty? We can find such qualities from three sources. First, we can discern qualities of God's beauty from descriptions of his nature. Divine attributes such as holiness, purity, reason, harmony, order, balance, goodness, majesty, splendor, 
righteousness, and loveliness provide the qualities that we should delight in and emulate. Second, since God's own handiwork displays his beauty, we may look to qualities within creation to determine standards of beauty. Romans 1.20 tells us that God's invisible attributes, such as his attribute of beauty, may be perceived in creation. Third, since God calls certain man-made creations beautiful in Scripture, we may use them as models for what is beautiful. When considering both God's beautiful creative works and the works of man to which God ascribes beauty, theologians have long characterized absolute standards of beauty into three groupings, order, proportion, and radiance. The Marring of Beauty If not for the presence of sin, all creation would still be beautiful, and by extension all creations of man would also be beautiful. Yet sin subjected creation to futility, and thus sin brought ugliness into the world. Because of sin, we now have disorder, disproportion, and dullness. Just as something is beautiful when it rightly reflects the qualities of God that make him beautiful, so something is ugly when it possesses qualities contrary to the nature of God. The presence of sin in our own hearts is the reason we cannot simply trust ourselves to determine what is beautiful. We must look to absolute standards outside ourselves. Sin is also the reason we must carefully judge all man-made creations, including music. Remembering that the idea of beauty is encapsulated in the biblical concept of glory, we can see the relationship between sin and ugliness in passages like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To fall short of God's glory is to fail in delighting in God as we should. There are two primary ways that we can fail to bring God glory in this area. First, when we delight in something to a more fundamental degree than we delight in God, we fall short of his glory. Glorifying God is delighting in his unique excellencies. To take delight in something else to the same or greater degree is sin. Likewise, when we fail to take delight in God at all for his unique qualities, we fall short of his glory. God describes this kind of sin when he said through Jeremiah, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah 2.13 Second, when we delight in something that possesses qualities contrary to the nature of God, we also fail to bring God glory. To call something beautiful that is not is to contradict the beauty of God himself. This is why distinguishing between the beautiful and the ugly is so important. To call something ugly that is beautiful when compared to God is to call God ugly. To call something beautiful that is ugly when compared to God is also calling God ugly. Let me illustrate it this way. My wife has beautifully decorated our home. If I were to proclaim, these decorations are ugly, what would I be saying about my opinion of my wife's decorations? Likewise, if I were to say, I think it's much more beautiful to decorate with graffiti on the walls and bouquets of dirty socks, 
Would I not also be saying something significant about my opinion of my wife's decorating? Glorifying God is taking delight in him because of qualities in his nature. Therefore, in order to glorify him, we must also delight in other things that resemble him and despise things that do not resemble him.